she she was saying something about she said something like you know well whatever it is you call what you do and I and I started fishing for words and sh- and then she just looked at me and kind of put her hand on my shoulder and said visual poetry Jeff visual poetry I think that's that's the way I see it. this photography podcast is brought to you by Frames quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, we are going into the world of the seriously beautiful, the seriously mesmerizing. We're going into a kind of photography and a kind of imagining the potentials of photography, not only from the artist's point of view, but from the viewer's point of view, that is really complex and mesmerizing and and it is i'm going to use a technical term it's just so beautiful uh it it makes your soul hurt a little bit because you look at it you just want to fall into it in other words we're talking with jeff beckton jeff is uh out in maine and he's got a story that is just amazing solo exhibitions starting in 1979 going all the way up through uh last year got one coming up next year um he's got awards and group exhibitions all over the place. You know, fine art photography awards. He's got a way of looking at photography um, that he calls a montage, not a collage. We're going to get to that in a second. But it's all composites, and it is deeply mindful. It is deeply thought out. And like I said, it produces some of the most beautiful images that I've ever seen. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Scott. And I'm Really happy to be here and talk to you. I've I listened to a bunch of your podcasts now, and and it's um, <laughs> I'm um, looking forward to this. So uh, we've already discovered we have a few things in common. But. We have. We, we should tell everyone we, we've been talking a little bit before we hit the record button here. Uh, both private pilots, both you know have, have a love of just travel and being outside. But Jeff, I, I want to talk about you know your work and and and. Uh, Let's let's begin with influences, because, you know, doing a little bit of research, reading your story, you've got a way of coming to photography that I think is, is relatively unique. Born in New Jersey, but, you know, summers in Maine early on, you've got family history back in, in upper New England and Maine back to the 1700s. And really early on, you say your mom was a big encourager for your drawing and, and stuff like that. But then... You went off to college and you thought, okay, art is not a way to make a living. So you became a history major. Jeff did not a lot of money in history majors. I have to tell you that. Uh, but then, then you wound up. <laughs> there are a lot of people who figured that out. <laughs> you know, but, but then, then you got back into graphic design and you were working with some of the, you know, major names um, in graphic design way back when. So tell me about those early drawing days. Tell me about your mom's encouragement and, and what, what kind of stuff was calling to you as a New England kid and a coastal kid way back then? Well, I had a very, uh, I had a best friend um, whose name was Hans and his father, I think was a first generation immigrant from Denmark. But Hansi and I mm-hmm. were the same. We were, we, um, we were two kids who just drew all the time and we were always together. So we were always drawing together all the time. And what was interesting, I think, one of the interesting things, I guess I should say, is that Hansi made very clean marks. Uh, everything he did looked looked um, smooth and, and together and well thought out. And everything I did looked chopped up and, and sketchy. <laughs> and so I was terribly jealous of Hansi when we were little, but we were still the only kids who, um, in our, when we were, because we were the same age, we moved through school together. We were always the two kids who could draw. Were you drawing rocket ships and motorcycles or were you drawing landscapes? Um, we were doing both. Um, we, we (laughs) did do, uh, but you know, like they might not have, uh, yeah, I would have said, uh, English frigates and, uh, sailboats of various kinds. It was, they were kind of more, I actually have, I don't know how my mother saved it from destruction, but a, like a little uh, ceramic container uh, that would fit like a couple of cigarette packs in it. And it has 
a picture of a, uh, I guess it must be a warship uh, named the Essex, <laughs> but but no but no e after the so it's Essex without ex. And uh, <laughs> anyway, somehow that has survived, and and it even had I even had nets up that you know to catch the cannonballs on those uh, on that one. So um, mm-hmm. we were interested in all kinds of things, airplanes especially, boats, sailboats. Um, but my mother was also encouraging to both of us, to me and Hansi. Uh, so we really were a, were a, a two guy you know art club that uh, ran mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day, <laughs> three hundred and sixty five days a year. It it was always the where we found ourselves lying on the floor with you know with whatever and paper, you know doing our own drawings. But we also did a lot of comparison and and we had a lot right. of very friendly competition you know we both believed he believed in his clean style of drawing and i believed in my messy style of drawing and uh, we went head to head now when you say messy when you when you say messy we're not talking lack of talent here we're talking artistic vision right uh, well we're talking trying to make what seemed to be the right marks and okay. my marks were um I couldn't. I couldn't make the right marks. Actually, I didn't have the control. I think at that point in my life, so Hans did, and um, <laughs> uh, and also, you know, there was another thing. He he was always drawing people who looked like Elvis, uh, okay. guys who looked like Elvis, and they always had these huge sideburns that came way down. You know. And, anyway, uh, he could do things like that. He could draw people a lot better than I could. I was always drawing very strange looking people, you know, because my mother was interested and because I had a friend who was just as obsessed as I was, I did get to spend a lot of early years with that sort of, of just casual, uh, observing and, um, and drawing. I I think that's a magnificent way to to begin a a photography and an artistic career. Um, And I'm curious, though, so you go off to Yale and you're not going to go into art. You've made that decision, but you could have done political science. You could have done economics. You could have done, you know, biology. What what is it about history that called you? Because I see that love of history in the work you're doing now. So, I mean, was there um, something about the study of history that you found personally compelling? Yes. Um, uh, history is a story or a bunch of stories, a conglomeration of stories. And um, so the storytelling aspect of, of picture making was always there. You know, I was always drawing historical scenes, actually, because I liked mm-hmm. boats. And, and so everything was was a boat. Um, and Hans did the same thing, only he did a different kind of boat. Uh, drawing uh, worked for both of us on a lot of levels, and it was automatic. Uh, I think that that being, um, I think that one of the reasons why we were both drawn to art is because you know we were always in the throes of of trying to explain how we were feeling. I guess um, by by drawing, you know, we were so often lying next to each other. Uh, like drawing the same thing, only completely differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, really when uh, I got out of, um, you know, junior high and um, the opportunities for drawing started to go away. And, and in fact, they kind of went away all at once. Um, when I was in junior high, there wasn't, I really didn't have access to art. When I was in high school, I had no access to art. Right at Deerfield, you had to have, um, you know, a uh, you had to have a certain grade point average in order to be able to take an art class, and I, I didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, 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 know, I know those stories really, really well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think I don't think that our learning system in this cult, in this country was was designed around artists. It, it certainly was not. It certainly was not. So fast forward a little bit. Okay, so so you, you get your history degree, you go back to graduate school, um, and, and now you're in graphic design and you're, and you're dealing with people like, you know, Jerry Thompson. 
you get into photography, you start doing, you know, not only graphic design, but you start doing portraits. Tell me about, tell me about the early portrait. Was that, was that an economic decision? Was there something aesthetic about portraits that called to you at first? It was, it was partly Jerry Thompson who, um, it, the course was called, uh, actually was, was a title, the photographic portrait. And, um, okay. and that was the first time I ever got into that. And, and Jerry was really great. And, uh, um, about, the way he talked about it. And he was a protege of Walker Evans at the time and had been for a while. So, you know, he was kind of looking at things from Walker's, through a Walker Evans lens. And, uh, but also, you know, his own, he was using an eight by 10 view camera um, for a lot of his work at that point. Mm -hmm. But um, portraiture just came, came very naturally to me. I, I um, was not afraid of it. And not, and I didn't have big ideas. I mean, I didn't have ideas about it. I just was trying to catch those fleeting microseconds, um, you know, where uh, an expression seems to be bigger than larger than life for a second. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I I, I also had a favorite stairway that was under a window. I I mean, under a skylight (laughs) where I could Mm -hmm. get people to sit on the stairs and I had this 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 great light, but um, so I never, and I've never really liked uh, working in a studio as far as lighting is concerned, and um, I haven't. And I also I must admit that you know I've never really actually done it. I'm I'm pretty much an available light guy in a complete sense. <laughs> But then, then you, you start moving away from the, the kind of one-on-one transaction of, of a portrait. You know, you start moving towards a less documentary styles. You start shooting interiors and stuff. Why? Well, I was never, I was never comfortable on the street with a camera. Okay. I was never, at the time, there were a lot of, you know, it seemed to me that everybody wanted to be on the street and working on the street. And what I wanted to do was um, to do interiors with a with a four by five view camera and and get good at that, good enough that I could do it efficiently. I I was I bought a Linhoff Technica from um, from the department, the photography department at Yale. They needed a bunch of cheaper cameras, and so they sold me a good one and and bought a few inexpensive mm-hmm. uh, rail cameras. But you know. The great thing about that Technica was that it really was a rock. It was just as rigid as it could be. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I did a fair amount of work with it. But then, you know, then I moved on to medium format sort of as my next. Uh, you know, when I started to work with old, ne- you know, with older negatives and uh, I didn't realize it at first, but I was looking for a new way to make pictures than you know mm-hmm. my black and white photography practice and and you know and, and you know not just uh, like uh, platinum printing or or you know or um, any of the of the uh, alternative processes that have been popular you know or, or at least were popular for a while I've I've sort of I come unglued in time I really they asked me what was going on <laughs> on a certain day in a certain year. I would I would laugh hysterically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, so, I've, I've simply decided in my life everything was ten years ago. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't let ye- yesterday, it was ten years ago. So, <laughs> so you, you, you're doing the portraits, but you know, you're doing the portraits, and you're looking for something new. I, you know, I love something that, that you said in one of your other interviews you, you, when you say you know you're being pulled to less documentary style. You're starting to shoot the interiors. You said you wanted to tell stories about what was going on in the houses and the stories about your emotional connection um, to this place. Now, how, how can a set piece, you know, a, a, an interior, a table and a wall, tell a story about what's going on in a house and, and even more so an emotional story of what's going on in the house? Yeah, it's usually more than one person that's been involved, you know, so you've got a kind of... Uh patina that's created by the users of that of the space and um you know sometimes it's the same family sometimes it'll be a bunch of different families over time using the same things but 
you know, these, these, this, these furnishings are very eloquent in what they tell us about the period in which they were designed and made, about the people who mm-hmm. bought them and brought them to their house. You know, one of my favorite pictures for various reasons is uh, the one that's called uh, Variously Parlor North Haven or Worsley's mm-hmm. Parlor, where it's a sort of set piece where you have on the left side a child's desk with a very small TV on it with a set of rabbit ears um, mm-hmm. with tinfoil wrapped around them and a child's chair. And then across the picture on the other side, there's a regular upright piano with a, with some sheet music on it and um, a painting of fish uh, sitting on the top of it. I'm not sure exactly what, but it's, it, it's those two, the adult world, the child's world, um, and there's even a little pencil drawing of a boat that's been pinned to the wall um, above it. And the walls are also, mm-hmm. they're all plaster walls and they're cracking. I don't know. There's just something about that picture that uh, is just so plain and simple and sort of fun about, you know, the way generations um, have to, you know, make their own place in, you know, physically it in their families and in their house in, in the places where they live. And sometimes that's, you know, a, a, an artist can find um, a lot more to, um, to talk about than just the way the furniture, uh, just the fine points of the way the furniture is arranged and what kind of furniture it is. Absolutely. I mean, Jeff, you're, you're betraying the history, Bart, here, you know, a lot, but I, I want to step back a little bit because for people that aren't familiar with your work, and of course, they, they will have seen this just coming to the podcast, so they're, they're looking at your work. You make a distinction, you know, between um, montage and collage. Um, th- these are composites, and everything in your images is actually laden with a kind of intentionality and, and a kind of historic and emotional weight. One of the things that, that I really um, love about you know things that you said earlier is you know you your camera is a notepad um, you you are not so much taking a photograph as you are collecting I think you, you called it a vocabulary to later put together sentences and and, and, and meanings and stuff you know so I, I want to come back to to you know the the history and the intentionality but why do you make a distinction between montage which is a motion picture film and collage, which is, you know, the thing hanging on your wall. Yeah, I mean, they both are, deal with physical objects, but I feel like the, that montage is more a photographic term, um, you know, is, is a more comfortably photographic term than collage. I mean, I did mm-hmm. try, actually, uh, at several times in my past to, uh, shall we say, tear things up and put them back together again. Uh, in various ways to see if that was compelling or interesting. And, and I could see that it could be, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but I wasn't getting the kind of results that I wanted from it. And um, and, um, from this physical tearing of things and pasting them back together. And I thought that Photoshop, you know, it took me a little while to grasp the importance of the layers function in Photoshop. My, you know, I was very happy just to be able to mask things off and, you know, and change the color of it or, uh, you know, or the tone. We should tell everyone, if they don't know, you are a early embracer, an early enthusiast of tech, um, you know, way, way back with the old Mac 512 and, and McPaint and those kind of things. Right. So, I mean, you have you have always embraced the technological aspects of of what visual art might be able to contain. Did did you start playing with, you know, superimposition, something that simple way back, you know, in the darkroom days? A little bit. um, But Mm -hmm. I was trying, you know, at that point, I was more focused on the beauty of a good print uh, and just trying to teach myself the skills, you know, the relatively simple darkroom skills, you know, the beginners uh, pick up and that allow you to make adjustments to an image that, that are profoundly important in terms of the way they change the, the way they affect you, the way an image Mm -hmm. affects you. I think that for me, 
that emotional encounter with a picture on the wall is is really you know all about that's all where the rubber meets the road is that um a person you know they bring themselves and you know everything that is them and i you know i think a lot about cosmology by the way <laughs> and other things mm-hmm. i you know and about you know what is a human being <laughs> obviously we're all still thinking about that we, there are a lot of a lot of opinions um Mm-hmm. I, I, the interaction that a person has with a with a picture, the things you know, we read all kinds of things into little details, and it's part. In, in fact, it's an, a large part of the of the enjoyment of the fun that I have making pictures. Is as having an archive that I can, um, you know, that I can find things that are pretty much exactly what I want that will, you know, push a picture ever so slightly in a certain direction where, that I think it needs, or I don't think I'm doing a great job right here explaining this, but... Um, no, I, I, I'm fascinated because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you go out to photograph the world to collect to collect parts. You're, you're not yeah. collecting images, you know, that, that are self-contained and, and, you know, absolutely the way you look at it. You're, you're collecting uh, Legos to put on the table and say, now, how am I going to put these, put these together later? Which is a radically different way of looking at the visual world than, say, the street photographer or the documentarian. There, there's a story that you've told about the, this ship that was driven up on shore, um, which is, you know, the, the hull of it's shown up in several of your images. But but tell me the story of, of encountering and, and then photographing that ship. Okay. Uh, the ship was um, a 260-foot combination icebreaker buoy tender. You know, you have to take out navigational marks. Usually they take them out every year or two and clean them off. And while, and while the others are getting cleaned off, they replace them with, uh, with a clean one. But right. this one, um, this ship had found its way um, through being uh, retired by the Coast Guard, then bought by a couple that was going to turn it into a, you know, a super yacht. And... Um, then vandals got aboard and burnt the interior <clears throat> and then it got oh, sold my. then it got sold to a fisherman from Marie Joseph which is we're talking Canada here um mm-hmm. uh, north of Halifax on the east coast but the thing is bright red so you can see it from quite a ways off and as we were making our way by we decided that we would try to anchor nearby and come over and take a closer look at it which we did was as we were in the middle of, of floating around and photographing and looking at it, somebody, uh, this little head pokes itself over the, uh, the very, you know, straight up from where we are and says, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he was afraid. He was the guy who owned the boat and he was afraid we were the government and that we oh, were about my. to shut him down. And so we got to have a long talk with him. So, but you're motoring around this beached ship with your camera. What's in your head? Is it just colors and textures that you're looking for? Is it just, you know, maybe I can use this somehow, sometime? How how do you go about the field work that it's then going to become the montages? Well, you know, it was partly that both my wife and I were interested in it. So we were going our, we were, we were together in the same boat, but sort of going our own ways, you know, with her camera and me with mine mm-hmm. and, and drifting slowly down the side of the boat. We, it, there was just, there's always just enough wave action that uh, it's very hard. I found the most challenging thing for photographing that boat was to get a sharp, a really good sharp image. <laughs> right. It, w- it was hard to do. It, we, you had to really try for every last, every trick in the book. And, um, but, you know, I think shutter speed turned out to be the one that really helped me the most. Save the day that day. But do, do you really have no idea when you're taking the picture what you're going to use it for? Uh, yeah, I would say that I, 
I'm more interested in it and what, what it is a picture of, you know, whether it's the color, the textures, whatever. I, I, I find things that, that, are, that seem to be inherently interesting and I record them. And sometimes, I mean, it, it took me a while to feel the, the freedom to take the liberties that I take with technology and, mm-hmm. uh, and even the, you know, what might be the design of a house or a vessel or something. I'm, I'm very interested in vessels. I own as many boats as I could possibly, you know, the, one more <laughs> boat and we, would be, and we would all sink. It's a compulsion uh, anyway, oh, I, love uh, I do have a boat that allows me now uh, something new I have in my life that, that is a, it's kind of a rescue boat. It has two high horsepower outboards on it and will allow you to go out in any weather and, um, and take pictures of anything. And, and that is one of my ambitions over the next few years is to spend some time on very, a uh, not uh, not not good days out there and yes. um, and try to do it safely but also you know i'm just really interested in in pictures of wave action and yeah and, and waves and waves in general not just ocean waves you know but the but it would seem that almost everything in the universe vib- vibrates in waves mm-hmm. absolutely and so uh, the kind of waves that we are, you know, that we deal with every day as a commonplace living on an island, they're very, I don't know if you've noticed this, Scott, but I find water, you know, mostly really difficult to photograph in a compelling way. It started with my first brownie camera when the waves looked like they, there weren't any. And, uh, uh, you know, I w- and I was thinking I was going to get these dramatic photographs, and and uh, lo and behold, they just looked like, you know, a kind of a gray. Um. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it is a special technique and a special talent. And you're also right. I think somebody needs to do a, a multi-part series on the relationship between photographers and bad weather. Um, because I think just about every single one of us love bad weather for a variety of reasons. Oh, yes. I, 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 I want to go back to the ship just for one more moment, though, because this is a sort of a lead up. And I know that the, this image is you know about 10 years old now, but it's one that, that I find personally really mesmerizing. Uh, and that's the home and away print, the home and away image, where that hull of a ship that we're talking about appears to be the wall of a building. Um, and you've got a silver tea service. You've got some you know blue china that's in there. And then you've got this apparently a print above um, the settee or, or, or the, the uh, side table there. And you've probably, I just looking at it myself, you've probably got six, seven, eight different layers and images all working together here. And almost none of them are what they actually appear to be. So t- tell me the process. You're sitting there, you say, I'm going to do a new image. I got you know this part and this part and this part. How do you put it all together? Well, yeah, you have to something something inside clicks, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. you know, in that picture particularly, that is one where the historical perspective is especially you know coherent right. and easy to uh, to see. Um, you know, the, that Canton where China you know was was uh, was everywhere. Um, and I actually have ended up because it's fairly inexpensive and I think in its way, it's beautiful and it's actually fairly durable. I've bought a bunch of it. (laughs) So it's, it's something that, um, um, you know, was a big part of the China trade Mm -hmm. because China is heavy um, I think that it was like a natural part of the ballasting of the ships that went back and forth. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. 
We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. But when, when, you're, when you're sitting there composing the image, is, is the history part of your decision-making? So that, because, again, another quote that you've got that I find really interesting, you say, that, and this is in your artist statement, your old artist statement, you say, pictures are filled with symbols, both, both personal and archetypal. So you are constructing bits of history that are laden with, you know, metaphoric weight, with historical weight, with symbolic weight. But are the, is that really what's driving your composition? I mean, that's what um, the, the, you add up the various parts and the way they mm-hmm. are used in the composition and you know they they do i do try to point you not at 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 the meaning of the piece but i do try to point you into that there are various ways of looking at this picture (laughs) and um and i i have my own little prejudices things i like to see and um especially when it comes to ships and and um yeah, one thing I just can't stand is is marine painting where the where the ships are badly drawn. And <laughs> <laughs> well, tell tell me this and again. I'm I'm looking at your you know like everybody else of, of roughly our age. You know, you grew up looking at, at Hopper and Wyeth and you know the, the, those kind of, of moody things. And I can see that influence uh, in your work. Certainly, I can see you know the maritime uh, influence in your work. But there's a real and and, and I, I almost don't want to say this because it's going to sound like your images are not kinetic. And, and there is actually in, in your images a lot of energy. But the overriding feeling I get is, is, is a kind of multi-layered calm, almost like a Zen uh, piece, even though there's a million dynamic things that's going in there. There's sort of a gestalt uh, quietness uh, that that's in there. And you know, I, I'm just wondering how you know, is is this? Am, am I really seeing your heart and soul in these, or am I seeing um, an argument? I think you're you're um, you're. I'm what I'm doing is inviting you to consider the things that that I'm obviously considering. You know, the image mm-hmm. in front of you is is it is in a sense um you know not an aggressive challenge but it, it is in a sense in a challenge a challenge to make sense of your feelings about it you know what mm-hmm. i try to do uh, when i'm making pictures is to is is to follow my i guess for want of a better word to follow my gut that leads yeah. me if if i if i'm patient enough and and um sometimes i don't have to be patient sometimes pictures just happen but Sometimes over a very long period of time, I have to decide what's important visually and, and, and narratively in, you know, this image, which isn't, you know, any one thing. It's not an exact, usually it's not just, I'm not pointing at one way of looking at something. I'm pointing at the, at the width and breadth of how we navigate our way uh, <laughs> through life. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit vague. Uh, no, it, it, I, I don't think it's, I mean, but what, what, what you're, and, and again, you know, this is vocabulary you've used in the past. You, know, you say spiritual is the right idea, but not completely the right idea. Um, transcendent uh, is the right idea, but not completely the right idea. I mean, you're after something more, um, you know, soul and psych based than, you know, newsworthy kind of stuff to really a a challenge for me to make sense of my own uh, emotions in response to your image, I think is, is exactly what I'm feeling in, in, um, this, you know, looking at your work. And I love that. I love the ability to look at something that at one level, you know, there, there's a first blush. Yeah, I get it. But a microsecond after that, there's a whole new territory to go ex- exploring in. I'm so glad. It, 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 that's a really rewarding thing when, you know, for people to notice. And it's not like, you know, uh, just to be, uh, to say something brief about that, you know, I, I don't, there's not a one, there's not one right answer to that, you know, to what I'm getting at. I'm just getting at mm-hmm. something that um, is 
stimulating you to stimulates me to try to come up with, with something, you know, about what it means and how it makes me feel. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, we weren't talking that much about the way we felt about things. And now, you know, we can't seem to talk enough about it. Absolutely. Jeff, walk me through, walk, walk me through the image called looking West. Yeah. There's a church on Deer Isle. That's, um, one of several, you know, they're, they're, this happens, I think, a lot in rural America, you know, where a church gets associated with one pastor. And when he gets too old, you know, there's nobody else who really takes it over. So this church was kind of empty at the time. And I was in the graveyard looking around, seeing if there were any, because sometimes in Yankee graveyards, there's some pretty funny stuff or, or interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And so I was taking a picture through the wire fence at the, at the, you know, what would have been the sanctuary, I guess, on the left at the back of the church. I was in what is Burnt Cove, which does, if you look at the church from the, from the cemetery, you're looking due west. Okay. And so that's why I gave it that name, looking west, because also looking west is for an American is like looking at the future, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're always, okay. I love that Steinberg uh, cover for the New Yorker. Like everybody loves it. You know, there's that little brown <laughs> strip called Jersey that I, that I was born in and I used to live in. <laughs> yep. But th- this image, Chef, the, the sky in this image isn't a sky. No, it's, it's painted paper. It's, it's like, uh, you know, a little bit like doing water, you know, watercolor, like a Frankenthaler mm-hmm. uh, view of the sky. So I, my wife was doing all sorts of uh, clay and, and other things at the time. And she had all sorts of painted paper uh, test, you know, test pieces for both glazes and other things lying around, mm-hmm. you know, and I, uh, scanned an, an, you know, I thought I found that it was very useful, seemed very useful to me to scan these things and change the colors and the textures. It was like having, you know, your own little, um, image factory. You've got all your, all your various image components but, you know, you, you, you spoke very early in our conversation about, you know, me having, making images from bits and pieces. And, um, mm-hmm. and it certainly affects the way I shoot things. I can't help but shoot from the perspective of someone trying to make uh, an image out, you know, with, with an uncropped image, you know, like everybody else. I, jo- I enjoy that when it happens. <laughs> right. But I don't feel any any obligation to uh, pretend, you know, that I'm a, uh, one of the geniuses that just points the camera and makes magic happen. I, it really takes quite no, a bit you, of work. <laughs> no, you, you're the genius sitting at the computer making the magic happen, you know, from, from all these bits and images. And I'm, I'm just absolutely humbled by the imagination that you express in these images, the way you're putting the parts together, because not one of them seems um, disjointed. I mean, if, if there's dissonance, it's, it's it, you know, it's intentional. They never seem less than whole. Um, you know, and I don't mean necessarily complete because there's all sorts of interpretation that can go on, but they, they, they seem generic. They seem in and of themselves absolutely successfully every single time. Um, or at least, you know, you, you haven't put out the stinkers. So, okay, me, <laughs> there might be one or well, two. No, I mean, but um, you are mentioning something that is, uh, you know, that is on my mind and, and, and pretty much has been uh, ever since the beginning, which, which is to have to try to boil things down to what, you know, what is, what's interesting? What's, what, you know, what yeah. do you want from this? Uh, I don't know, really. I think I'm better off starting from a place of unknowing than a place of of thinking I know, because I think that unknowing leads to a better kind of knowing. (laughs) 
you're what you're following me here, right, Scott? No, no, I am. I think but, that but, unknowing I mean, follow, eventually leads to a better kind of knowing. <laughs> no, it does. And and Jeff, what I'm thinking about is, um, you know, this th- might be a bit of a stretch, uh, is jazz improvisation. Because I mean, if you're a musician, yeah. and and especially if you're a jazz musician, you get to a part where you've you know, you got eight bars or you got eight minutes to fill, and you've got the parts. I mean, you, you've got your history, you've got your talent, you know the chord structure of the song, but you have no idea where you're going to go. And so it, it's it's a personal exploration given voice through the instrument. And now in your case, it's a personal exploration given voice through the images and, and the ability to put them all together. I, I think not knowing is, is not a blank slate. It, it's having all sorts of resources and all sorts of talents and saying, okay, who am I today? Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, that uh, our authenticity, obviously, is pretty important for a lot of us. The You know, we really want to make sure we don't want to see ourselves going off the rails because we think it might be popular or um, yeah. something, you know. We, we need, um, you know, to always be judging, um, you know, what is working and what is not working and is is there a way to rearrange things so that they you know or every now and then you have to uh you know admit to yourself that you've spent quite a bit of time doing something that isn't really working mm-hmm. and you're doing it because usually I'm doing it because there's some part of it that I love that I don't want to give up and what I really want to find yeah. is something that makes it even more awesome than it already is. But um, that is is a tricky business. It is. In, in, in the poetry world, there's an old cliche that poems are never finished. They're merely abandoned. Um, and, and I think that holds true for those of us, you know, sitting. You know. That, that, that what you said is, you know, because it, it, it brings me also back, and, and please forgive the interruptions, but I, I, I forget yeah. often so much what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have had, like, for instance, uh, you know, there's a woman who lives near me, and I, she, she was saying something about, she said something like, you know, well, whatever it is you call what you do, and I, and I started fishing for words. And, and then she just looked at me and kind of put her hand on my shoulder and said, visual poetry, Jeff, visual poetry. I think that's I love it. That's the way I see yep. it. She's she's absolutely right. Well, Jeff, walk me through a couple of your poems, then a couple of your images here, because and th- these are some of your more famous ones. These are ones that, that have been out there um, and deservedly so. But talk to me about Pandora's chest. Just, just walk me through. Beginning, middle, and end of that one. Well, first of all, that was my bedroom in another, you know, in my in an earlier part of my life. Um, <laughs> I have five, I have uh, four uh, siblings, and um, mm-hmm. my bedroom happened to be next to my parents because I guess I was um, the one they wanted to keep track of the most, and uh, <laughs> uh, so I <laughs> and they managed to do that, but. I thought it was only appropriate that if I was going to start to mess around with water, it ought to be in the bathroom. And so um, I had the water uh, feature of this picture coming in through the bathroom door. Was not, you know, you might think I was thinking about climate change, um, especially, you know, calling it Pandora's chest and all. Uh, you know, having, mm-hmm. having the approach, the, the water, uh, you know, approaching coming into the house, which is, I have a number of pictures where the water is more or less threatening to come in. It hasn't mm-hmm. actually made its way in or across the floor, but the fact that this is an island and, um, and while it has a bridge that goes across, it's the same engineering firm that, that, that designed Gallup and Gertie. Oh boy. And they've actually got a guy down in Washington who actually watches the instruments from the Dare Isle Bridge on a daily basis. 
Well, I mean, looking at this image, Jeff, I mean, you've, so you've got Pandora's chest, which is all the world's evils, you know, hiding inside of it. But you have, by my count, one, two, three, you have four different horizon lines in this image, five if you count the top of the chest of drawers. There's all sorts of middle and far and close um, distance, you know, of attention in here. And the water's coming in through the door, it's seeping around, so we don't know you know, if, if the chest here is going to survive this or not. But then you also have in here two really calm, you, you've got this this wastebasket uh, with the yellow and white stripes looking very pretty, very sort of proper sitting there. And you've got the Hummel-esque figurine lamp uh, sitting on the uh, table as well. So you, you've got chaos, you've got, you know, varying levels of, of uh, disquiet, for lack of a better term in there. And yet, the whole thing is is both utterly peaceful and about to explode. <laughs> Boy, I'm really <laughs> I'm really happy with you as an interviewer. <laughs> because yes, that that does sort of bring out a lot of uh, you know, the the sort of uh, wonderful ways in which doing this imagery allows me to revisit, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a roadmap that tells me where to get back to a certain place I was in, or I found in the process of making that picture. You got to realize that, that also, I think like a lot, you know, so many artists, um, I'm constantly fighting against, shall we say a dearth of, of the, amount of self-confidence needed to just keep forging ahead. <laughs> really? <laughs> Whatever. Um, I manage to do it every now and then, but mm-hmm. I think the artist has to be confronting the artist's own um, issues of, mm-hmm. you know, their cosmology, their feeling about, you know, you know what they think about what life means to them. And then they've got to if somehow weave that in with, with what I'm saying. And I think though that, that I think it happens, it must happen successfully because not all the time, but, but enough, but enough of the time that I, I, cause I, I'm always worried that people are going to say that, you know, this picture is a little too flat. It just isn't, you know, it hasn't, it's not interesting enough, even if that is the case. And I feel that way. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I don't like giving up on pictures. Good. I, I, as, as somebody who views your pictures, thank you for that. Because I mean, you have really, you know, helped me explore all sorts of things. You know, whether it's an image of yours, you know, like Blue Calm, which is very calm, um, or the image called Waking Up, which is, you know, filled with volume and, and, and filled with action. That's also, by the way, that, that I, I, I don't know why I wrote, I, I've been flipping back and forth. The, re, the real title of that picture is WTF. <laughs> well, if, if I were to wake up in the bed, that would be exactly the first thing I would think. I know. So, I mean, it was just, there's this, I just was too chicken. You know, I could have called it fuck you, you know, but I, I, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I caught, I, I called it WTF and then I wimped out completely and called it waking up. I, I wanted to get those few human beings who would, who would appreciate the idea that waking up to, uh, uh, having a wave b- coming into your bedroom is mm-hmm. probably going to cause you to jump out of bed. You know, in, in that image, Jeff, do you remember how many parts there are? How many di- you know different things you've brought into that one image? Oh yeah, there there are quite a few. Um, it, and also, it, I had a also a motivation in making it. I didn't know I had it when I started out because it really is a studio. Um, of a painter named Gretna Campbell, who died about five years ago, mm-hmm. who had a, a studio right off of Northeast Harbor on a little Cranberry Island. Actually, no, hers, I'm, I'm, I always get this wrong. I always say little when I mean great Cranberry Island. <laughs> and uh, she wanted someone to take pictures in there. And I thought, well, there might be, it might be good. 
So I went over and I and I uh, I found that mostly it had been taken over by younger members, but it was still being used as as an artist studio, and they still had a lot of her crap in there. Mm-hmm. That is, this is a picture of Gretna's studio. As you know, uh, I didn't move the furniture around or take things away that I can remember. I had shown a bunch of work uh, to a a gallery owner in San Francisco who said that she thought they were too main for her gallery (laughs) and that um, uh, San Francisco people are proud of the fact that they're from San Francisco and they want to see San Francisco art, not, not main art. And I, I, you know, and I said, well, I don't know if I agree with you about that, 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 that it's actually main art. And I just had to say, I didn't, you know, I just thought that um, I couldn't tell the difference between water in San Francisco and water in Maine. So. <laughs> oh, a lot of people are going to say, a lot of people are going to say them's fighting words, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And uh, I, you know, basically to walk to the bridge from our apartment, you have to walk by Chrissy Fields which is, you know, the San Francisco promenade all the way from the bridge mm-hmm. back to the St. Francis. I, I often have a number of pictures that I make uh, because I like the ingredients that I've assembled. But mm-hmm. this one, WTF, I like a lot because I like the energy. And it's not, it's not like um, we're doomed. It's, it's not a picture that's saying we're doomed. It's a picture that's saying, here's the wonderful, big, wide world doing its thing. And, um, you know, we got to figure this out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Jeff, I mean, we, we are out of time, and I've enjoyed every minute of this. Your, your images, for me, are invitations. They, they are profound, emotional, uh, psychological, you know, uh, invitations to go exploring, not only in, in your imagination, but the, the, the depths and the complexities of whatever I might be able to bring to it. Once again, I have enjoyed every minute. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Scott. I enjoyed every minute too, and I'm I'm glad that we didn't. The technology uh, did not end up keeping us from getting this done. So, <laughs> no, we we will always find a way to get around that. Frames, because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>